Welcome to Rethink Real Estate. My name is Ben Brady, and this is a real estate podcast based around the principles of our non-distressed auction model and Australian real estate concepts at work today in the US marketplace. We focus on scripts, dialogues, real situations in negotiation, listing appointments, prospecting, and all concepts to do with real estate. We look forward to being real and rethinking real estate with you. Hi everybody, Uh, welcome back to another episode of Rethink Real Estate, here with uh, Ben and Jason. And today uh, we thought we would talk about seller reports um, and presenting feedback to a seller. And uh, this is a topic where the marketplace is certainly taking a little bit of a shift where we are in Southern California at the moment. So I think that it's a a very, very good skill set in order for us to sort of refine and, and to make a little bit better, Jason, don't you think? Well, it's definitely one of those vital things that I think any real estate agent Regardless of where you're located, it's one of those things that it's certainly um, a must-do for your campaign, be it traditional or auction, for your sellers is obviously having clear and concise communication. But yes, as you mentioned, with the market taking a bit of a turn and softening just a little bit, having that communication and being able to get everything down so that the seller can understand exactly what's going on with the market, exactly what's going on with their property, uh, is very much important. Can we clear up a matter, though, that I want to make sure that we make very, very implicitly clear in this first ep- in this first part of this episode? Um, because people usually sort of tune out towards the end, I'm assuming, but... Uh, tune out to you. <laughs> and you also, mate. Now, um, let's define the word feedback. I did this in a training session up in La Cunada yesterday, and I asked people what feedback is, and everybody automatically goes to the feedback of a property in respect to, you know, they don't like the floor plan, they don't like the road noise, they don't like the position, they don't like whatever it may be, the style of the property in general. That is not feedback, Jace. Feedback to me is numbers, Ben. Feedback is should be defined as price. Now that not, might not be the definition of what it is in the dictionary, okay? But very rarely do I go with anything that in, in the dictionary. However, the word feedback needs to be associated with purely one thing and one thing alone price. Because if you are giving people feedback on the road noise or on the layout or on these bigger major things that cannot be changed, it tends to build more of a brick wall between you and the seller because they after they hear things over and over again, it becomes superfluous to them. It has less effect. It dilutes the effectiveness of that comment. Not to mention they become agitated when they really do need to feel like you understand you are on their side. So when we talk about feedback, there are just numbers involved. Now, in respect to giving feedback to a seller or getting feedback, that'll be for another podcast in another day and we'll certainly be advertising that one shortly and getting that one recorded and out to everybody. But the structure of a seller's report and giving it back to them because I think that it's important that you take the that you take the feedback that you've obtained in the appropriate way and in the appropriate manner through to a report that ultimately solidifies that feedback in a marketplace for a seller to then reflect on. So I think that today, if we put a little bit of a structure to what we're going to talk about, let's talk about that report, how it should be structured and the information that should go on that report, Jace. Yep. And then let's talk about also, um, you know, how do we present that to the sellers so that ultimately they cannot escape the feedback that is presented to them on that actual report. So um, we do have a template for a seller's report. It's a weekly template um, that uh, is quite easily accessed. And if anybody's interested in getting hold of it, please email auctionsusa at harcourts.net. Uh, that's auctionsusa at harcourts.net. We'll be happy to send you over the template so that you can have a look at it. But diving more into the structure of the report, Jace, I think that the first thing that a seller needs to know 
um, is around where is the property being seen and how many people are seeing it. What's the biggest avenue of inquiry that most, uh, well, excuse me, what's the biggest avenue for eyeballs on a property? Well, the internet. So I think I agree with you that we have to go through exactly where the property is being seen and how many properties are seeing that. Now, all uh, sorry, how many people I should say are seeing that. Now, all of that information is obviously very much readily available to each and every agent. It's not very hard. It doesn't take long to get that information and just to jot that down in this report. And again, the templates there for people to to have that assistance with as well. But then breaking things down as far as the numbers, which we'll get into. But it's not just about we have to provide the overall. Um, inquiry, the overall viewership of the of the property, exactly so right, and then breaking that down into the small sections as far as where the active interest really comes into, which which comes into price. So let's give it a process of elimination. That's what probably what we're trying to push across here is that process of, of elimination is very important for a seller to see. They need to see that the marketplace is seeing their home. And the powerful thing, the annoying thing about the internet is that we know that there's a lot of looky-loos, but the powerful thing about the internet, it provides an effective use of eyeballs on a property and you can report that back to a seller. So I know a property that we had up in LA the other week, Jace, that the Zillow, the Trulia, the Redfin, the Realtor.com and our auction website, okay, collectively had 12,000 views in one week. Yep. Now, I think it's important also, if we're talking about the structure of these reports, um, this report, the front page of the report, and if anybody's interested in it, again, send us that email, the front page of the report is just the collective effort on one week, not multitude, it's not collectively over two, three, four weeks, because the one thing that I think that people get into the habit of doing is reporting collectively. So this is how many eyeballs we've had on it to date, when it should just be week by week so that you know what type of momentum that you're rolling with. So for example, this property had 12,000 eyeballs on it the first week online. The second week, it had a little under 4,000 eyeballs on it. So that is a good thing for the seller to see that the marketplace and the volume of people looking at the property based on the fact that now it's becoming a little bit of old news is declining and decreasing because all sellers hope that it's just gonna be getting better week by week when that is actually not the case. It does not ramp, it actually comes down further. Now, out of that 12,000, Okay, let's talk about the structure that comes next. Out of the 12,000 eyeballs that were on that property, how many phone inquiries did you actually get? Now that's phone inquiries from agents, that's phone inquiries from actual buyers directly. What people, after seeing the property in the, in the, in the, in the marketing means that you've gone to, what people have actually phoned you? Okay, both agents and buyers. So in this case, there were 15 phone inquiries on that property in that week. Now, very important for us to be able to note this down and keep track of that. You know, whether that be in a, you know, a open house registration booklet, whether that be written down in your inquiry book that you keep for a property in the file for the property, whatever it may be, the names and numbers of the people that have called you and asking you questions should be in one handy accessible place so that we can get this information. Then out of those 15 people that called, we had a total of 10 groups through the actual open houses and showings for that week. So what we've done there in reporting on these numbers, we've said 12,000 people have seen it. Out of those 12,000, 15 of them have decided that this could be the right opportunity for them, so therefore they've picked up the phone and made a call. Essentially what we're saying in more of a roundabout way with that process of elimination is that 11,985 people have said no. 
Mm-hmm. And that is important for the seller to see. Then out of those 15 people that have called, the information that they've heard or the further research that they've done, there are five people that actually didn't proceed forward and come through the home. Mm-hmm. So these are actual numbers on an actual property. Now, out of those 10 people, that is where we start building the feedback itself. Now, feedback, what is the definition of feedback, Jace? Well, feedback is price. Correct. That's all it is. That's right. Now, this is the other thing is that then when we start diving into that on an open house perspective and the people that have been through and us following people up, the main question, if we were to do a structured follow-up conversation, and this is I probably diving into a little bit more than what I'd like on this perspective, but let's do a role play here if you don't mind. Sure. Somebody walks through the front door of a property. Yep. Okay. Um, and we get their information, we get their, their information written down. And I think that, you know, from a traditional perspective versus an auction perspective, with auctions, it's very easy to get people's information down. From a traditional perspective, it's not as easy because it's not a set structure and there's no legal ramification of actually not getting people's information. But once you have everybody's information, following that person up on the Monday. So ring, ring, ring. Hello. Hi there, it's Ben Brady from Harcourt's Auctions. I'm giving you a call. Um, we met at 25 Smith Street in Laguna Beach on the weekend. Do you remember the property? Yeah, yeah, I know the one. Yep, yep. Okay, great. No, I am. Um, just giving you a quick call. When can I get you back for a second showing? Um, seeing it once is probably enough for me, Ben. Okay, so the property is not of any interest to you at all? Um, it may have some interest, but we're just looking at a few other options at the moment. Okay, so... Um, I guess, does it become of any interest to you at any price? What do you think the property could be worth? Oh, it's probably worth a million dollars or so. Okay, so will you put that million dollars in writing and I could take it to the seller and get you an answer? Uh, no, look, we're looking at a couple of other options. So you're telling me that even if I could you know, get the seller to consider 950, it's not of interest to you? Uh, look, as I say, no, probably not at this point. Now, Jason, I'm pushing here, but even 900? Um, look, I mean, 900 is a decent buy, but... Yeah, look, probably not, Ben. So it's just really not for you? Yeah. I'm just looking at a few other options at the moment, so we're just not committed to the property at this stage. That's fine, no problems. Now, how we end that phone call breaking out of script and dialogue, it would have been very easy easy for me to stop in that conversation, Jason, and say, you think the home is worth a million dollars and take that back to our sellers. That is what we call creating a false economy. Mm -hmm. A false economy in the sense that you know, you really don't believe that it's worth a million dollars because you wouldn't put it on paper. Mm-hmm. So then, I, but then what most people don't do, and I think that this is a fair comment because we see this on a daily perspective. People don't even ask for price feedback in a follow com, follow up conversation. Blows my mind. A lot of agents don't even follow people up. Yeah. Only if they've actually shown interest at the open house when the real value comes in the nose. Yeah. So my feedback reads instead of reading if I just stopped. Even if I asked you price feedback and you just said a million dollars and I stopped there, it would read, Jason thinks the home could be worth a million dollars. Now my feedback reads, Jason, when asked, would he pay a million? He said no. Asked if he would pay 950, he said no. He said he would not even pay $900,000. One of the principles of reporting feedback back to a seller is showing them the process of elimination in the sense that don't focus on what it is worth, focus on what it isn't worth. A contradicting statement but you need to show them that you've given an opportunity for them to pay more. Yeah, and that comes down to the delivery as well and, and how you approach that as well. Being able to say to a seller, Jason, when pushed, would not pay $900,000. That's quite an impactful That's conversation. That's good language. Jason, when pushed, still would not pay $900,000. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly right. And again, that comes back down to when we compare it to feels the property is worth. Yeah. And again, that's totally irrelevant because I'm not the buyer for that property. Um, and so my opinion of value is exactly that, and it's an irrelevant opinion. However, when we are able to say, Jason will not pay more than this price point, it's again, it's a, it's a more impactful conversation. And for a seller to be able to dissolve and look through that information and then compare that to other interests, then that's when they have the epiphany, obviously, after one, two, three, four weeks, that, okay, wow, when a good offer does come forward, we might be in a position to look at it. That's absolutely right. So again, just recapping on the structure so far, folks, we go through the numbers. How many eyeballs are seeing the property? Online is going to be your best friend when it comes to that. How many, out of all of those people, how many converted over to a phone call that were seriously interested from either an agent or a buyer? Then out of those calls, how many of those converted into people that actually entered the property? Out of those people that entered the property, what is their feedback? Not what do they think about the home and the location. That is superfluous information. Price is what true feedback is. Now, how would that read? So Jason's one of my people that I've just followed up. It would say, Jason, give his name. We never give last names because in the age of social media, people looking people up and, you know, I had a seller one time say to me is that, well, Ben, I don't think that those people can afford it. And I asked them, why do you say that? Is, well, I looked them up on Facebook. They were quite young and they weren't even looking at the right people. So again, we don't want anyone's privacy to be bound, but also it doesn't say Jason doesn't like the property because of this, 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 and this. I never attach buyers' names to actual uh, comments Emotional about the property. Feedback. Yeah, that's right. There's no comments about the property that need to be attached to your name, Jason, because if I tell a seller that wants a million dollars, you think their home is worth 900 and you didn't like the layout and where it was positioned, they completely discredit themselves or discredit your feedback because you didn't like it. My feedback would read, Jason, um, when pushed, as you said, Mm-hmm. When pushed, would not pay $900,000. Now you let that sink in for a minute, okay? Then when you're delivering this to a seller, which is another conversation about how to conduct a weekly meeting, which will be another podcast that we will conduct, um, letting that sink in is an important part of this. But when there are a multitude of people at that certain price point or, or when pushed or when asked or when um, thought that this was worth this, whatever it may be, that is true feedback. Not Jason didn't like floor plan, didn't like location, didn't whatever. And I, and I think, and getting ahead of myself here as well, is that you know when we're coming to the point of being on the market for one week, two weeks, three weeks, as we go through the list of those people and then saying, hey, Jason, Ben wouldn't pay this, um, so on and so forth wouldn't pay that going through and, and striking a line through to say guys these guys won't be paying this money for the property they're not going to pay this money for the property and so what's happening here is the market is telling us when we have all of these people look at the property online all of these people call us and we have these people come through the open house and then independently of one another they are consistently telling us the same price feedback as far as the price that they will not go above then that is feedback that the seller needs to know and needs to understand because if an offer gets written at or above that level, that would be considered A, the market, and potentially the premium when put into a competitive environment. Now, now let's focus on one of the points that you've brought up a little bit further. And again, we are probably digressing away from the, from the seller report exactly in its structure. 
but let's talk more about obtaining price feedback out of people because this is a skill set that is incredibly not used well here. Certainly we've seen it, our agents even that are trained on doing it certainly avoid the conversation because what price feedback, when you get price feedback that isn't favorable, what that then comes next is not an easy conversation with your sellers. So we try to avoid price feedback that we don't wanna hear. There's a couple of principles with price feedback, okay? Why are we feeding this back to a seller and why are we going down the path of making sure that we're giving them prices that people won't pay and asking a few more questions? Because one, we don't wanna create that false economy I spoke about before. But there is no crime in over-educating your sellers. Because let's say that my seller in this situation, Jason, wants a million dollars, okay? But we're educating them down towards the $900,000 mark. Mm -hmm. If a million one turns up, does it stop them from taking it? No. So one of the principles is over-educating is the, it needs to be probably one of the career or one of the industry good practices so that we are not responsible for when the marketplace turns up that the seller doesn't want to consider it because we haven't, we got the price wrong in the beginning. We over-promised in the beginning. There is a moral hazard in our real estate industry where $100,000 really is not a lot of money when it comes to our commission, but it is an entirely a, a huge amount of money for our sellers. And agents going in and overpricing property lets a property sit on the marketplace and they overpromise and it tarnishes the property's reputation. All of those types of things that we all know, those cliches, and essentially the seller ends up with less money in their back pocket and the only person's fault that it is is the listing agent because they've babied them through the process rather than tried to educate them down so that when that marketplace turns up early on, they are ready to take it. But let's not even go down that ideal situation as far as 1.1 turning up when the seller wants one. Let's say that we get an offer of 990,000 or even we get an offer of a million dollars and it's reasonably early on. That's what the sellers want. It's a really good offer. They're probably it's come likely early. To take it. They're likely not to take it. Correct. They're likely to say, you know what? It's really early on in the piece. Maybe we can get a little bit more money. And then all of a sudden they get very, very greedy or the goalposts adjust a little bit. Or they think, oh, we'll just hang on and we'll we'll keep these guys in the lurch and in the background a little bit and let's see if we can build on them because again, greed takes over. Whereas if we all of a sudden have got our sellers down into a position of accepting maybe 900, maybe 950, not only when 1 million does turn up, are they happy to take it, but also their mental state as far as, wow, I just got $50,000 or $100,000 more, yeah. than, more than what everyone else was prepared to pay by comparison to... Yeah. Oh, I sold the property for you know basically what I wanted. It wasn't a great result, but it was a result. Yep. You know that the mental, and then you think about your future business, and then of course your reputation in the industry. When you've got a seller out there that thinks, "Oh my goodness, Ben just did a phenomenal job. He got me so much more than what I was prepared to accept." By comparison to, "Hey, yeah, Ben did his job, and we sold the property." Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's a very clear aspect of making sure that managing people's expectations allows you to make sure that they understand that presenting them with market value is not an easy thing to do. So it gives you more credibility in the business. Now, um, getting back to and reflecting based on this seller report. So in your seller report, we've reported on the numbers, but then we've reported, then we've followed up with the people that have actually gone through the property and we've generated feedback. Feedback defined as price feedback. And one of the other things is, again, just to reiterate once again, okay, when you ask a buyer feedback, let me just do this role play again with Jason so that you guys know exactly how it works. So Jason, how much do you think that this property is worth? This is a question to a buyer, regardless of whether they like it or they don't. 
Yeah, and every agent should be asking to mind you and only 10% do. Um, I think the property's worth a million dollars, Ben. So Jason, let's write that up. Or, or could you get your agent to write that up and, and we can present it to our sellers? Oh, look, I'm just not sure that it, uh, it's the right property for us. You know, it's probably worth a million dollars based on everything else that's out there, but uh, it's probably not a million dollar property for me. So even at $950,000, it doesn't become of interest to you? No, I mean, look at this price point again. You know, it's there are other options out there that we're looking at, you know, up uh, at and around this price point, and there just seems to be quite a few options for us, and so we're just not in a position to be committed to this property right now. Jason, even at 900 at a stretch, you know, hey, I don't know whether the seller would accept it, but would it become of interest to you? Um, look, no, look, it's, we're looking at other options, Ben. It's, it's something we may circle back around to, but no. Okay. That is genuinely good feedback there. Yep. Genuinely good feedback because we've asked a couple of different questions. So we've reported on that. That's page one of the report. Page two of the report is where we collect all of the information that has been over maybe week one, two, three, whatever week that we are currently in. And this is where we collaborate all of that information. At the top of page two, it states consistent comments. This is the location where you can give comments about the property. So what are the consistent comments that we continue to see? Notice unattached, unattached. Unattached to people's names. Do not attach the comments to people's names because then it allows the seller to remove that person's feedback. Now, consistent comments might be the floor plan. Consistent comments might be that the location is is perfect or it might be whatever, okay? Make sure there are some positives in with some of the negatives. Don't make, don't don't let them see that it is all negative stuff because it's not gonna be negative stuff every time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that it's important. That's where you can give them that those comments, not attached to people. That is just consistent feedback from all parties. Then following that is where we get a little bit tricky. Explaining it over a podcast is quite difficult, but guys, we we absolutely recommend that you send us an email and we can get that report to you to our Harcourts agents. They already have it from going through our auction accreditation, but you can email us again and we'll get that report over to you. But this is where a bar graph comes into play. And a bar graph, if you think about it, it's a horizontal bar graph, okay? And it is a graph that on the side has every buyer's name, okay? And every buyer's name has a price that they wouldn't pay or that they believe that the property is worth. Now that price is reflected on the graph. Down the bottom of that graph is where the seller's expectations are that they set in the very beginning, okay? The price that they would like to achieve. Now guys, this may be cynical, but you know, I've done over $5 billion worth of real estate transactions. Jason, you know, is certainly one of the more decorated auction performers within Australia and certainly here now as well doing, you know, in excess of a thousand transactions a year himself. But the thing is, is that Jace, correct me if you think I'm wrong. I've seen thousands upon thousands upon thousands of these reports and these graphs and I've never seen the buyer's feedback match up to what the seller's expectation is. And on that graph, it is a beautiful visualization that Mr. and Mrs. Seller, please understand that it, that here is the visualization that there is a discrepancy between your expectations and what the marketplace on a consistent basis is willing to provide. I mean, it's almost designed not to match up. If it did match up, it would probably be sold. Correct, that's right, Yeah, 100%. If it did match up, if there was a line that actually met their expectation, it would be sold. You know, that's a very, very good point. So again, bringing it into a visualization. Then at the bottom of that report, then we go into the averages. What offers have we received beforehand? 
okay? What has the lowest feedback we've received? What is the highest feedback? We average it all out and we compare it to their expectations. Folks, this report is a difficult report for a lot of people to get used to because what this report follows, which will be our next podcast, is how do we present that to a seller in our weekly face-to-face meetings? And how do we lean into the discomfort that they're going to feel in that meeting? Because this report is designed to make the feedback a talking point rather than just hoping that good feedback turns up so that we don't have to have these types of conversations. And I think that real estate by magic is not something that we should be practicing. The hope strategy shouldn't be something that we're practicing. But again, let me recap the entire report just so that we understand where we're standing at the moment. The report starts off with the numbers of where all the eyeballs are seeing it marketing-wise, proving where everything goes, where everything's being marketed, all the people that are seeing it. Again, Zillow, Trulia, Redfin, Realtor.com, they might not seem a friend to our industry here in the US, but they are a friend to us when it comes to presenting the facts that volume of people are seeing that property. Not to mention as well, remember this first page is designed to do just be a weekly update, not a collaborative update, not collective uh, numbers all put together so that we can see what the momentum is week to week. Out of those people that have seen it, how many people then have called? How many agent calls have you had? How many buyer calls have you had? Out of those agent and buyer calls, how many of those have transitioned into coming and actually physically looking at the property? Okay, if you're doing a traditional sale through private showings or through auction through the open houses that are limited to those times. Now again, folks, the only purpose, the only real purpose to this report is you can you can collect all of those numbers, but if you don't collect the buyer's information at the front door, getting the feedback from them is hard. What is the definition of feedback, Jace? Price. Price and price alone. So then when we're making our follow-up phone calls, what do you think the property is worth is one question. Second question, would you put that on paper? Third question, if they say no, okay, is scale it down. You have to scale it down based on your best knowledge. Or even what would you put on paper? Absolutely, that's another great question. What would you put on paper? Yeah. At what point does this price? At what, at what price does this property become of interest to you? Yeah. Doesn't sound like the ideal home for you, but is there a certain price that could change that? Yeah. You know, all of those type of things, right? Then, when reporting on Jason, who is a gentleman who came through the property that I then followed up on, when pushed, would not pay, mm-hmm. or would consider putting X on paper. Yeah. Okay. But again, be careful with that because it's not a commitment unless it is in writing. Then collaboratively putting all of those numbers going over to page two, that is where we put the collective feedback over the past however many weeks, even if it's week one, what have been the consistent comments on the home? This is where you tell them people didn't like the layout, feed, uh, the carpet, the location, whatever. Okay, The things that really don't matter, but if you feel implored to actually put them in the report, go for it. Then you get that bar graph, that horizontal bar graph, and if you are looking for our template, again, send us that email, and we will be able to send it over to you because it's already all set up. Um, And that is where you put the buyer's information in respect of price and you compare it to what the seller is looking for to show a visualization of that discrepancy in the market, followed by the averages of the lowest bit of feedback, the highest bit of feedback in respect of price and price alone versus the seller's expectations. And let's not forget here as, as well, guys, if we rewind a couple of episodes ago where Ben and I spoke about our set to sell meeting or our 24 hour meeting, 
this conversation, this report, and the information that is going to be on this report has already been preset with the seller. You've already got their approval to bring this information to them, making what could be or what would have been an uncomfortable conversation quite an easy, quite a transparent one to say, hey guys, you've given me the permission to tell you the reality of all of the interest and all the showings that we've we've provided and then the price that has come back to us and this seems to be what's what's being told to us. And so obviously at this price or above, that would be a conversation where a decision may or may not need to be made. That's perfect, great. Well guys, at risk of uh, overextending our welcome here and talking further about seller reports, again, um, give us a call, create your own structure if you'd like, um, but there are some fundamental principles that all of our top agents and what we've seen all over the world actually work is by presenting the actual facts. Um, and we'll get more into how do we display this report um, on one of our podcasts, which will be conducting your weekly review meetings um, and actually talking the report through with your sellers because there's some very big fundamental principles that need to be used if you create this report, okay, um, simply throwing it in there and pretending like it's a grenade that's going to be as effective as possible will not work. You need to talk it through with your sellers. Uh, again, thanks very much for listening. Look forward to uh, doing some more episodes here shortly. Jace. See you next time. Yeah, thanks for your time. Cheers. Bye now.